0: Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 298. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I am so happy that you are here today, and I am so excited about today's guest, Lisa Avery. Lisa is a positive psychologist from Work Is Vocation. And we were already on a roll in our pre-chat. So I just said to Lisa, I said, I got to push start recording because or else we're going to put all the good stuff in the beginning. So anyway, welcome, Lisa. I am so happy that you are here. And I know we're going to have a great time
1: chatting. Oh, thank you, Kim. It's, It's really great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. And you can tell I'm excited because I'm talking at like three times speed.
1: <laughs> I think you're just mimicking me, Kim. So I think that's probably my fault. So <laughs> That's definitely possible.
0: I, Lisa, I wanted you to give your introduction like a, a fuller introduction, but I do have to share before you do. Um, listeners, Lisa may be launching a podcast in a few months. It's it's still questionable, right? But Lisa, I've been listening to podcasts myself at two times speed. And I've noticed that since I've started doing that, that I've started talking faster. Wow.
1: (laughs) My goodness. Well, I certainly don't need to do that myself because I find it very hard to contain my passion. So I think I will not be doing the same in the very near future because that could be very dangerous.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Talking at four times speed. (laughs) We we would have to have people listening at like half speed. Absolutely.
1: Because I kind of feel like my heart starts racing. It starts beating at the same kind of speed at which I'm talking, you know? So I'm just physically, physiologically getting very excited too. So I mean, which is great, but you know, over an extended period of time, I think I have to calm down just a little bit.
0: Yeah. I I had to take a deep breath there because when I, this is so. This is so something that I didn't need to share on the podcast. But I, when I start getting really excited about my work, oh my gosh, I can't admit, it, or I can't believe I'm admitting this. I will start drooling about my work. I mean, it's not literally coming out of my mouth, but like, I'm, I'm salivating, thinking about how excited I am about the work that I'm doing. I didn't even know that was possible.
1: Oh, my goodness. I've never heard that. But I think that is the most amazing admission ever, because that is such a testament to the kind of work you do and the kind of person you are and the way that you manage to entwine the two beautifully. And I think anybody who works with you is very privileged. So I think that's an amazing thing to, to admit. Oh, thank so Congratulations. You, yes.
0: It's so much better than sitting here with our eyes just like crossing and rolling into the back of our head because we're just so unenthused. But oh my gosh, I just <laughs> realized we're, we're like three minutes in and I haven't even given you the opportunity to properly introduce yourself yet.
1: <laughs> that's all right, Kim. That's all right. And so, as, as you said earlier, I'm a positive psychologist and coach. And I also work with a positive psychology program called Growing With Gratitude. And that is a program that we take into primary schools, which takes a very proactive approach to mental health. Um, so, that's one thing that I'm working on. And then in terms of the positive psychology and the coaching, I work with people around finding or creating their vocation. So, you know, finding or creating work which is deeply meaningful, which entwines strengths, talents, passions, and really helps a person serve both themselves and the world with their unique gift. So that's where I'm at right now, Kim.
0: I just want to back up a second. You said you're taking Growing With Gratitude inside of elementary schools? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. And especially with my five, I hear more about their gripes. Sure. 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 Actually, now that I'm thinking about, well, okay, I'm thinking about my three, three-year-old 3 twins and my four-year-old. So that's not quite elementary school yet, but I, I do. I hear more about their gripes, you know, their, yeah. their, their kid Kindle just ran out of battery oh. and I don't like this dinner yeah. and you know, why aren't you reading me a book yet? But where's the, yeah. where's the gratitude? And even with my teenagers too, okay, stop complaining <laughs> and I I can start this with my own kids tonight. Before you complain, give me a gratitude.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, gratitude is highly, highly correlated to well-being. You know, it's been proven time and time again. I mean, our focus is on gratitude, on kindness, empathy, character strengths, resilience, you know, and the happiness. We look at it's a very holistic approach to mental, physical and emotional well-being. And uh, yeah, and absolutely, this is something that even as a family, you could start to, to create as a habit. You know, we have the good old gratitude journal, three good things a day, that kind of thing. And and it's never too young, you know, for a person to start to look for the good thing because it's all this thing about the negativity bias, Kim. You know, our brain is wired to notice the negative because that's how we've evolved and survived as a species, you know. Out there in the jungle, we had to be noticing, you know, the lion running towards us ready to eat us rather than the beautiful flowers and trees and fruit. We have evolved to notice the negative and that even from a very young age is very easy to see. So I think, you know, happiness really... Really is a habit that we can train through things like gratitude, kindness, empathy, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, yeah, even as a family, you could begin to implement these kind of habits and really reap the rewards very quickly. Lisa, I noticed something in the last couple of years, even about
0: myself, that every time I was getting a compliment, I would sort of shoo shoo it. Absolutely. Absolutely you know, that, that shirt is really nice. I really like that. And then I would be like, oh, this whole thing, you know, or something like that. And I didn't realize until an earlier conversation on the podcast that that was actually not doing, well, it wasn't doing me any good, but it also wasn't doing anybody or the person who was giving me the compliment any good either. And that I really needed to start appreciating compliments, not only for me, but for everybody else as
1: well. Absolutely. You know, really mindfully savoring that compliment, that moment, you know, that kindness coming from another person. I think really becoming aware of that. It's a really beautiful moment of connection. You know, this is social glue. You know, we are social beings. As human beings, we're very social and, and we're wired for connection. And those micro moments of love and connection, I think are really beautiful and really give us that boost on a daily basis. So, as you say, you know, the ability to really savor that moment and feel comfortable in hearing kind words about yourself. Because, you know, it's interesting you say, Kim, I often do an exercise with people, which is a strengths exercise. So I get my clients or people I meet to identify their innate character strengths. And there's a wonderful side. I don't know whether you're aware, but at the University of Pennsylvania website, you can take the VIA, V-I-A, Strength Survey Inventory, and it comes back with a list, with a ranking of your Character strands, and, and actually watching a person, seeing a person begin to, to learn, begin to understand and really take on board what they're good at. It's a really beautiful thing because people are not used to recognizing and acknowledging the good about themselves.
0: Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right there. How did you get into this, Lisa?
1: Sure. Now, this is, this is a story because it's as Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs famously said, you know, it's joining the dots backwards. Now, looking back, it's very easy for me to see how this all came around. But at the time, I really wasn't so very sure. So my original degree was in languages. And that meant that I came to Spain, having moved from England, because I'm originally from the UK, I came to Spain, not really sure what I wanted to do with my life after graduation. And I started to teach at various companies. And one of the companies that I had the good fortune of stumbling across was the School of Psychologists. And at that time, they were organizing the International Congress for Coaching Psychology. And very quickly, I became involved in that with the translation, the interpretation And it was one of those moments, Kim, when I thought, oh, my goodness, shouldn't this have been my life? This is everything I love, everything I'm passionate about. Until that point, you know, I'd sailed along. There was nothing that I really particularly wanted. And this was the first time ever when who I was really came, really came together for me. It it was the moment that I thought, yeah, this should be my life. Is it too late? and so that was so that was about seven years ago now shortly afterwards I found a master's a three-year master's in coaching psychology and positive psychology and I finished that masters uh, last year and uh, yeah and since then I've been doing some coaching a few workshops and little by little building up my business and and so that's the story you know for, for me it was a question of I'd always been extremely interested in psychology but having been better at languages and communication I was really encouraged to go in that direction which is a really good sort of typical example of a person looking for the extrinsic the external motivation you know the the opinions of others and not really tapping into themselves You, you know for me Kim it took me a very long time to strip away the external and really access my authenticity and now I feel extremely aligned with who I am and what I do and what I'm about and that's why I feel so incredibly passionate about empowering people to do the same thing because from this it it's just you know you feel on fire yeah so that brings up
0: a really good point I mean I've looked back at my life and I've wondered if I would have done things differently and I've brought this up on the podcast before and I don't think I would I mean there's been struggles there's been a lot of learning sure. but I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone through any of that absolutely so do you how do you feel about that if you could go back would you do it differently Or do you think you went through what you went through to be where you are today?
1: Absolutely. You know, because so much of what I'm about now, so helping people really consolidate their identity, really tap into their authenticity, really become very self-confident, so much of that is because... It took me so long to reach the same place. So had I not had so many, had I not been around so many corners before really coming to what I perceived to be a straight line, a straight road ahead, I wouldn't have ever had that necessity, that urge to really help people, you know, who are in that same position that I was once in. Um, You you know, I felt very disempowered growing up. I didn't really believe in myself very much. And now that I do have that level of self-confidence, because I feel very aligned to I am and what I'm about, I really feel that deep-seated urge to help other people reach that level, you know, because it's an amazing place to be. So, I mean, you know, it's very easy to say, looking back, I wish I could have done this and done that. But then again, I wouldn't, as you say, be in the same place that I am today and I wouldn't change where I am. So, so absolutely not. You know, I try, I try to take the good from the past and really just, you know, get on with the future. Interestingly, Kim, psychology points to the fact that we're much more future-driven And future motivated than people used to think. You know, psychology in the past, it used to look, it used to look to people's past. It used to really examine what had gone on to understand why the person was where they were. At that present moment. But actually, recent studies have pointed to the fact that human beings, they're far more likely to be thinking about the future than dwelling on the past. So, you know, for me, that's a very empowering thought. You know, it really all is about the future and the incredible things that we can create by looking forward, not backwards.
0: That brings up an interesting point, too. I mean, we're looking so much at the future. And I, I do still think there is a fair bit of dwelling on the past. But what about the present?
1: Sure. Which really, how much of us actually spend time right here where we are? That's it. And yet, interestingly, you know, studies from mindfulness show that we are at our happiest, no matter what task we're doing, we're at our very best when we're focused on that task. So even if we're washing the dishes, for example, we're much better to be washing the dishes and being focused on washing the dishes than actually to have our mind, you know, running backwards or forwards. So actually becoming very aware of the present moment, it's a very powerful thing, you know, and it's powerful as a human being to become very mindful to because, you know, it's this cycle, isn't it, between our thoughts, our emotions and our behavior. So for every thought we have, it leads to an emotion, a feeling in our body. And for every emotion we have, it then leads to a certain way of behaving and it goes round and round in a cycle. So, you know, by becoming very aware of our thoughts, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're doing at any given moment, it really gives us the power to intervene and change. Things about our lives. Lisa and listeners, we need to take a really quick break to hear about today's
0: show sponsor. Today's episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast is brought to you by MyBargainBuddy.com. Get more for your money at mybargainbuddy.com. Bargain Buddy scours the net every day to find the best deals and coupons so you can save 50 to 90% on clothes, shoes, housewares, gifts, pet supplies, and more. They even tell you where to score free stuff. Sign up for their free email newsletter today for a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. When you shop with My Bargain Buddy, you'll never pay full price again. Mybargainbuddy.com What do you think is the biggest obstacle facing people when it comes to figuring out their own identity versus what other people see as their identity
1: and being their true authentic selves? Sure. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant question. I think first and foremost, we've got to strip away the extrinsic. So, you know, we grow up in a society, in a family where we're often told what we should do, what we should become. And very many times this happens during childhood when we're not even aware of how much we're internalizing from the external world. So I think very often, you know, people come to me as adults and I'm sure to you too, and they they have these these ideas that really aren't their own you know oftentimes they're leading lives that they thought were the lives they wanted but actually they were the lives which were preconditioned by external by the extrinsic and so for me first of all it's a question not of going out into the world and adding on to what we are if not coming back to ourselves and gradually layer by layer stripping away that which doesn't serve us anymore you know and that could be thoughts that could be opinions that could be, you know, ways of speaking to ourselves. So very often, you know, the internal voice, the voice inside our mind, it's cruel, it's critical, you know, and very often what we're saying to ourselves are things that we've heard, you know, growing up as children and young people. So I think, first of all, it's really getting back to who you are. And I mean, a brilliant way to do that, as we spoke about earlier, would be to take the strengths inventory, would be to look at your values, you know, what's very important to you. It would be to look at times when you're in moments of flow. So, you know, times when, when time actually seems to stand still because you're so absorbed in the kind of activities that you're doing. You know, so tapping into our strengths, our values, looking for moments of flow, really getting to find who we are when we 're at our very best, because, as we said earlier, you know people are very good at criticizing themselves, but they 're not very good at looking for when we 're at our best, how we do things well, you know, so I think getting to that point and really you know to to acknowledge who we are at our very best is is the starting point
0: oh absolutely i 've found that even with my with, with my littles i 've had to learn to start biting my tongue Yes. i 'll give you an example. With my with my three year old and four year old daughters this morning, we've got snow on the ground, and they wanted to dress themselves. They didn't oh. want any input from me on oh. what they were going to wear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To say it nicely, it's, the outfits that they both chose were nothing that I would have <laughs> put on myself or oh. put them out the doorway. Sure. I mean, there. One of them is wearing a pair of sweatpants under this sequiny skirt with <laughs> a shirt that is completely clashing. And I don't know, um, the other, the other one, got jealous that her sister was wearing a black shirt or a shirt that had black on it, and she wanted black too, oh. but she doesn't have anything. So I happened to notice out of the corner of my eye that I had a black tank top. Sure. I mean, this is for me, <laughs> yeah. okay? A black tank top with sequins wow. on. I it. It was like. Hmm. I was like, Nevea, go go grab that. And she's like, why? I was like, just go get it. I was like, do you want to wear this today? Oh, so She has this black tank top that's like 18 sizes too big, I'll that's an exaggeration. <laughs> but over her shirt and over her pants. But she feels like oh hot goodness. stuff today because she's got on a black sequin. I was like, you know what? I'm just... I'm going to let them do their thing. They wanted to dress themselves and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut today. And my husband and I just looked at each other and <laughs> raised our eyes. But if I start criticizing them, if I, if I say anything about their clothes now, it's just going to make them constantly doubt themselves Absolutely. and they don't want them to do that. I, I want them to enjoy this piece of wearing yes. whatever they want, yes. because unfortunately the teenage years will be here way too soon. And then it's not going to be mom's (laughs) eyes that are mom's eyebrow that's getting raised, but it's going to be all the girls at
1: school. Oh, <laughs> that is a beautiful story, Kim. That is that is beautiful. And you know, it points to something that I think is critical. You know, human beings have three needs to feel really motivated. They need to feel autonomous, so free to make their own choices. They need to feel competent in what they do, and they need to feel related, you know, they need to feel connected to other people. So they need to feel they belong in some way. And I think what you're describing there is a perfect example of your daughter really craving that. That autonomy, really wanting, you know, to be celebrated as an individual in her style. Yet at the same time, you know, that wanting to wear black too, that's kind of tapping into the relatedness, you know, really needing to feel you belong at the same time. And I think, you know, as a human being, as human beings, we often have this friction, this kind of tension between wanting to stand out and be celebrated for who we are as individuals, yet wanting to fit in too, you know. And I think often it's kind of like what we were talking about at earlier when people come to coaching with all of this tension often this is you know this is a problem the extrinsic is still there in the sense that they're still hearing what society tells them they should be doing yet there's this part of them that's rising up from the inside and and really waiting to burst out and that is their autonomy you know that is what makes them different and it's that friction though should it stay in or should it come out
0: Oh my gosh! You just brought up, and we talked about this a little bit in the pre-chat. What society is telling yes. us that we should do. So I've been facing this in my own business: what I should do versus what I want to do. You know sure. how I, I I do realize, listeners, that we all face that struggle of having to bring income in to pay for our expenses, pay pay for food, pay for our housing, and everything. But there may come that time where what you're doing to make money isn't what's lighting you up inside absolutely and there's there's going to be coaches that are telling you that you've got to do that or there's going to be and and I'm not going to say that there's anything wrong with coaches who are telling you that you got to make money because it's true you have to make money but I do believe at some point you do need to follow your heart
1: yes yes Yes, yeah. absolutely. 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 Kim, you, you know, I think it's really interesting because for, for my master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology, my final research project was on what what propels a person to pursue their vocation? So what psychological, emotional and physical factors push a person to really find, pursue or or create work that is deeply meaningful to them? You know, and very often, sadly, people tended to wait before really pursuing this kind of work. And people tended to wait until something really bad happened, be it a divorce, be it the death of a loved one, be it an illness. But it was usually in extreme negative circumstances that a person finally found the necessity or the courage, let's say, to tap into who they are and what they're about. You you know, but for me, it's sad, Kim, that people wait for that to happen. It's great that they eventually get there, but it's sad that they don't start to take a more proactive stance towards that because I do believe that who you are, no matter who you are and what you're about, you can find something that is personally meaningful to you. And what I also found you see, was that work that is perceived to be a vocation, is very meaningful to the individual because it allows the individual to grow to become the best version of themselves. And that makes a person feel incredible. But what really, really makes the difference, you know, the icing on the cake, so to speak, is when a person is able to transcend themselves, when a person is able to lose themselves in service to others, in service to the greater good. And that can be any kind of good. But until a person is able to lose themselves and lose that Ego, they don't feel that ultimate level of happiness, which which is definitely out there. Absolutely,
0: I I would love to know your thoughts about how long do you see it normally taking for people to find that? Because you know, we go through elementary school and high school, and a lot of us go to college because we think that that's going to be what's what comes with getting our diploma. Sure, but I didn't find myself until I was in my thirties. Absolutely, and I have to say, I really didn't find myself into. I, I just turned 39. Yes, listeners, I'm admitting my age. <laughs> but I would have to say that I really didn't find myself until just a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Like what I really wanted to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I almost feel like a kid cat, you know, because I'm really excited. Yes. Like playing with Legos. Wow.
1: (laughs) Wow. I can really relate to what you're saying, Kim, because I'm 37, so a similar age to yourself. And only in the last couple of years do I feel that I'm tapping into my authenticity too. And I think there are a couple of interesting points there to make. Now, the idea of setting goals, it's okay, but what we have to realize in life is no matter what we achieve, we're always going to look towards the next thing because there's some concept in positive psychology called hedonic adaptation. And all that means is that no matter how good or bad the circumstances in life, we will always adapt, we'll always get used to them, and we will always come back just about to our original level of well-being. So no matter how good or bad, we're always going to come back to a similar level of well-being. So how that relates to goals is is in the following way. No matter what goal you set out to achieve, once you've achieved the goal, sooner or later, you're going to come back to the original point of well-being. So the idea is rather than pursuing goal after goal, what you should be pursuing instead is a continual sense of development, a continual sense of progression in every aspect of life. And I also think there's something really useful to bear in mind. And this comes from the father of positive psychology, Martin Seligman. He thinks about happiness and well-being in terms of an acronym, which is PERMA. P for positive emotions, E for engagement, R for relationships, M for meaning, and A for achievement. So if you're able to create those positive emotions, feel very engaged in the work you're doing, really nurture your relationships, find a deep sense of meaning in what you're about and continually look to improve, to achieve in every area of life, I think you're going to be a pretty fulfilled human being. But what you have to know is, you know, reaching your authenticity, finding what you're about, it's not a one-time destination because that doesn't make people happy. What makes people really happy is, that constant sense of evolution in every single aspect of life. You just gave me a huge aha! Because perma basically encompasses
0: my whole podcast for me.
1: Oh wow, that's incredible! I mean, it
0: gives the the positivity. Yes. I mean. And despite, you know, even if it wasn't called positive productivity, even if it was something completely different, but it made me feel so happy. Yes. You know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. The relationships with the people that I'm talking to, the authenticity. Yes. Bearing on here, the meaning and the auth. I feel like I'm forgetting one. Um, um, the meaning, the accomplishment. I, I covered authenticity. Yeah, the engagement. Uh, accomplishments. Okay. It? I made it to <laughs> 200. And this, by the way, listeners, you can find le- everything that we're talking about at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp298. But Lisa, this is actually the 299. Oh my goodness. That's Congratulations. A, there, there's accomplishment. <laughs> that
1: is accomplishment
0: to I mean, I'm, I'm tooting my horn. horn and quite here, rightly but, so. <laughs> yeah. I, but, Perma. I mean, I found that. Well, it also has to do with chronic idea disorder. When I'm really passionate yes. about something, I tend to stink. Yeah, you know, stink. I tend to stick yes. with it. <laughs> my authenticity. Completely like, <laughs> I, I tend to stick with it straight yes. through the stinking. You know, because I get so engrossed that I don't. Shower. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. But yes. that's what it really is. I mean, yeah. I just focus on that one, and I just oh, it's like diving into the sea and never coming back out again because I'm just so in love with it
1: absolutely and and that really shows you know this is it's very evident in the way in which you work you know in your podcast and I think you know once you've worked in that way and you've reached that level of authenticity it's very difficult to perceive any other kind of work you know it's interesting Kim because according to statistics so so there are three ways of thinking about work there are people who consider their work to be a job so simply a means to an end you know a way to get a paycheck at the end of the month then there are people who who think about their work in terms of a career, so they're really focused on, you know, the progression, the status, you know, really going up and up with an organisation. And then the third group of people, I think it would be people like yourself and like me, and and pe- these are people who see their work to be a vocation. So you know that work that is deeply meaningful to them and serves the world in some way, and you know. Study after study really points to the fact that perceiving your work to be a vocation really leads to a very deep sense of fulfillment. And I think that's really good to know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with seeing your work as a job or a career, but I think there's always the opportunity, no matter what age you are, to explore other potential avenues.
0: I will tell my kids that I have to get to work, you know, when specifically when I need them to get out the door in the morning to get to daycare. and But I never say it's a job. I, I try myself saying, I love what I do. And yes. I have to share, I'm yes. in a mastermind group that I formed and we've actually called ourselves, we've named the group, the Unretireables.
1: I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> I because love that.
0: We know that we're just going, we, we love what we do. Yes. And even if we're making millions, yes, someday we all hope to, <laughs> are yet, but <laughs> you know, we don't see ourselves being able to retire absolutely because not. we are so engrossed with what we're doing that it's going to be in our blood
1: absolutely, absolutely. I want to
0: yes i want to go back to what you were originally or what you were saying just a few minutes ago though about going back to our original wellness state am i saying that yeah. uh,
1: right yes yes yeah. so so just our our sense of well-being our original sense of well-being, with, yeah, well-being. yeah yeah sure
0: so can that as we're continually working on that though, can our original state of well being be on the incline? Uh, yeah. Sure. So yes. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to go back to the state of well being I was in ten years ago. I don't want to go back to where I was twenty years ago. But if every day I could get back to where I was, you know, first thing out of the out of bed in the morning and maybe and every day gets a little bit better, that would be my goal. You know?
1: Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, Kim. Yeah, I see. Sorry, let me clarify a little bit then. So, you know, according to science, when it comes to well-being, fifty percent of our happiness comes from our genetics. So, I mean, that's fifty percent that we can't really do very much about. But what is really good and really empowering to know, forty percent actually comes from our state of mind. So, from the habits that we create, you know, so we can very proactively pursue gratitude, kindness. We can become more empathic towards other human beings. We can nurture our relationships. You know, there's so much that we can do within that 40%, which is in our control. And only 10% comes to circumstances. So 50% is controlled by genetics, 40% is completely within our control, and 10% is circumstances. So within that 40%, we have an immense power there to, to cultivate a positive mindset, to cultivate positive emotions. And what I was referring to earlier in terms of coming back, always coming back to a a certain set point, let's say, is really that 50%. So, you know, that 50%, that genetic set point, yes, it's there. But still, in in a very positive sense, we do have 40% to play with, which I think, you know, which is where we have to focus.
0: Oh, my gosh, that is so that is so fascinating to me i had not heard that before and i actually just shared on a recent episode and i'll put this in the show notes listeners about my own struggles that i've had with anxiety sure. and i didn't realize that anxiety is often genetic yes you know it may very well just be part of our genetics and we can't do anything about it and i didn't maybe i just wasn't made aware that it was yes in my family, you know, growing up, but as I've gotten older, I've, I've had experience, a lot of experience with anxiety myself, but you're totally right. So there's that 50%, but then it's what we can do beyond that. And there are those days that I just want to, and I know this is a positive productivity podcast listeners, and I am Mm -hmm. 98 to 99% of the time, like you hear me here, except for when my kids are driving me crazy. (laughs) Um, but, But you know, there are those days where i where I've just wanted to get back into bed. Yep,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. But it's my choice. Absolutely. I can do that in, mm-hmm. in that moment. Yes. Or I can
0: go take a shower. I can go get a coffee somewhere. I can go for a walk and work on getting out. I, I can put on my favorite song of the moment that I know will lift my spirits. Yes. Or yes. I
1: can climb back into bed. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Kim, you just touched on something really, really important. And probably my biggest and most empowering takeaway from positive psychology was that negative emotions serve a very normal part and healthy part of any life. And what the key is, and I found this to be really helpful, because like yourself, sometimes I have a really crappy day. And you know, whereas at one time, I would have tried to hide that, I would have tried to conceal that, what I have learned, learned from studying positive psychology is that if we're able to articulate and express very clearly and concisely the emotion we're feeling at any given moment, it begins to lose its control over us. It begins to dissipate much, much, much more quickly. Whereas if we repress it, you know, there comes a moment when we explode, you know, with anger, with sadness. So it's much healthier to let the negative emotion in articulate it express it clearly and see how it diffuses so much more quickly
0: oh yeah that's so good my husband has learned that he needs to just let me sit yes if there's stuff going on in the house because i'm one that will i i've learned yes through growing up and also as an adult that i don't just say what i'm thinking at any point no i'm not saying that it never happens yes at all yes but I've learned, for the most part, how to control that. And he'll he'll say, actually, I, I don't think I've heard him say this as much lately, but aren't you going to say anything? <laughs> right. And when he says that, most of the time I'm like, no, I need to think about what sure. I'm thinking. Sure, And then I will come back Absolutely. to you. But if I do just let it stay inside, oh my gosh, yes. that's not good. No, that's not
1: not at all, not at all. And that's why, you know, journaling, so creating a bit of a journal habit can be very, very useful for people. You know, there are a couple of studies which really support this. So, for example, if you've been through a negative experience in life that you don't really feel you've gotten over yet, it can be a really good thing to do just to take your journal for sort of four consecutive nights, 20 minutes each night, and write about that event, no matter how awful it was. And the thing is, describe it as clearly, as vividly, as possible. Now, studies show that for the first few hours afterwards, you'll feel worse. But actually, one week later, after really getting this trauma, this bad experience out, your immune system is boosted, and you feel happier, you feel lighter, you feel more energized. So I think, you know, there's a real, real merit to getting this out, whether that's with words, speaking to someone, or whether that's by writing. But I I think it's really important for people to know that any kind of emotion that is sitting in the body for a long period of time is probably going to have some effect.
0: Lisa, do you think that forgiveness for past wrongdoings that other people have possibly done do you think that's a must or do you think it's just a
1: recommended i think to some degree it's it's a must i i must say this is an area of life that i personally really struggle with really really struggle with particularly in my own circumstances because i've never i haven't necessarily expressed that anger to the perpetrators or to the people with whom i experience the situation You know, actually, there's a recommendation, there's a study from positive psychology, and it talks about actually writing a letter of forgiveness, not necessarily sending it. I don't think that's always the best thing to do, because sometimes the person that you're forgiven doesn't actually realize they need to be forgiven. But for your own sense of well-being, if you are able to reconcile those feelings of anger, disappointment, you know, then absolutely, because these are negative emotions which stay in the body. And and as I say, that they're harmful. They're not good for us. So if you're able to get that out, you know, if you're able to to free, to liberate yourself from those kind of negative emotions, I think that can only be a good thing. Well, I'm sure that's a very positive thing to do. Yeah, I'm really not necessarily the person to speak about forgiveness because I would say that is the thing that I personally struggle the most with.
0: Well thank you for being so authentic about that and so transparent. I mean it's it's awesome to hear. I went through years struggling with forgiveness on and several things from the past. But yes. I did realize that and I don't I can't even tell what happened in my own life to be able to yeah. to allow the forgiveness to occur. Sure. But yeah, there was so much of a freedom. Yes. I just got finished reading The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks for the first time. I think I'm going to have to make a habit of reading it. Wow,
1: I'm taking note, the big leap.
0: The big leap, yes, it's amazing. And one of the things that he talked about preventing us from reaching the next level Mm -hmm. is playing the blame game. Yes, yes. And I can see that. You know, We can blame our lack of progression or lack of success on anyone or in any circumstances, but in all actuality, it's all on us. Absolutely. It doesn't matter where we come from.
1: Absolutely, Kim. I can't tell you to what extent I agree with that, you know, and, and it comes back to what we refer to in psychology as a locus of control. So recognizing that, as you say so eloquently, that you are ultimately the protagonist of your life and the only one who is in control. And again, it really, it goes hand in hand with what we found about the fact only 10% of happiness comes from our circumstances. So, you know, it's not really about other people. It's not about what they do or what they have haven't done to us absolutely and it's very empowering to know that you know and by taking control of your life you, you're really empowering yourself okay so you then take responsibility for your own happiness but why would you want to delegate your happiness or well-being to any other human being that's impossible you know you are the only person who can create that in your own life so absolutely so so as you say you know in terms of forgiving people in overcoming the past i think that's or at least in the very in the very least reconciling ourselves with the past. Because I guess so often these things are, are denied, these things are repressed. And whilst ever we're repressing anything, there's going to be a price to pay. You know, that there's this exercise that I love. And what you have to do, you have to take a piece of paper, a piece of A4 paper, and write down your biggest grievance. So your biggest frustration, sense of anger or sadness, or the person, for example, with whom you're angry. And what you do is you, you write it down, and then you hold the piece of paper at arm's length and you notice how your arms begin to ache okay so this is what happens when we repress something now then you start to pull the piece of paper towards you so bring it towards your chest and, and lower it and feel now the lightness. So you're bringing this closer to you and it's not hurting in the same way. And I think, you know, that is a great exercise and it really highlights the fact that keeping anything at arm's distance, not acknowledging it, you know, it's always going to have a, a more negative consequence to actually bringing it closer to us, expressing, not repressing and really being able to move forward in life. Oh my gosh, Lisa.
0: I'm thinking that you should put a repression exercise on YouTube or something, because I can see so many people who could benefit from that.
1: Wow. Thank you. I think it's very simple, but very powerful. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly to both. I mean, Brendan Burchard has what he calls the release meditation technique on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. Listeners, you should definitely check it out. But it's just a, a very easy meditation technique. And I ignored meditation forever because I thought it was too difficult. I thought I had to clear my mind. But this just helped me get past that. And sometimes the easiest things, including talking, are the easiest things for us to overlook.
1: Absolutely. You you know, these kind of simple habits that we're talking about, you know, they're very easy to ingrain into our lives on a daily basis. And however short and simple they are, you know, over time, they really accumulate. And we can gradually, you know, within that 40% of control we have, we can gradually really increase our well-being and the thing about positive emotions you know there's a theory about positive emotions called um, broaden and build the idea being for every positive emotion we experience it literally opens us up to more experience more positive emotion there's actually this incredible study Kim which shows that people after watching a comedy for example rather than a sad film when given a, a picture to look at they actually notice much more of the picture so their peripheral vision actually increases so that shows that even physically we become more open when experiencing positive emotions so you know the more positive emotions we experience the more we begin to interact with our people look for opportunities and really you know bring the best out of ourselves whereas negative emotions they narrow our vision they narrow our attention because we have to react to that situation so we need to be very focused positive Positive emotions open us up to the rest of the world. And so these are things that we can cultivate, you know, with gratitude, with with empathy, with kindness, you know, in many different ways in small, but, but simple and powerful ways on a regular basis.
0: That is so huge. I've noticed that when a day starts bad, if I focus on the bad, the day just stays bad or keeps getting worse. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But in the same way just like what you were just saying with the comedy, I mean, you can see a lot more. Wow. And and maybe it's not that the day is getting any better. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, I am so, so sorry. Good. If you hear a crash in just a moment, I have a cat that's trying to knock over <laughs> a lamp behind me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but I can totally see how when, when we focus on the positive, that it just keeps on getting better.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Lisa, this has been in totally enlightening and I can see that we're, I'm going to have to have you back again because there's so much more that we can discuss.
1: Oh, thank you. Absolutely, Kim. I feel like we're just getting going, but it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Where can listeners find you online and connect with you? Sure, absolutely. So if they feel like asking any questions or finding out anything else, I would be happy to chat with anyone at www.workisvocation, all one word, workisvocation.com. And I would be really happy to have a chat with anybody.
0: Awesome. And listeners, again, Lisa's link, work with vocation, will be in the show notes. So in case you're out right now, you can go to com forward slash pp298. Thank you again, Lisa, so much. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners?
1: Of course. And I think it really comes to what we've been saying throughout the whole episode. But just to summarize, I would say, Kim, the most important discovery that I've made, it's to really tap into your authenticity, to really find who you are, what you're about, you know, really strip away all the extrinsic, come to the core of who you are, find how those innate strengths, talents, passions, how they can be fused together to serve yourself and the rest of the world And that to me, you know, that to me is the most important piece of all. Thank you for tuning in to this episode
0: of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven-figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit TheKimSutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.